academic researcher and man of the cloth, goes for a walk one night, never returns home. He's later found dead. There's no obvious signs of trauma, but there's no mystery to his death. Everybody in the village knew exactly what killed the man. Fairies. Missing, hidden, the podcast about bad things. Welcome, welcome, welcome into another episode of Killing, Missing, Hidden Plus. I'm your host, Brad, but you already know that. And as you know, this is our premium side of the podcast that likes to delve more into the uh, hidden part of our show name. And we certainly have a strange case for you today, in case you couldn't tell from the intro. Naturally, I'm going to begin by thanking y'all for supporting the show. You kids are the real hero when it comes to killing, missing, hidden, or something like that. I'm I'm trying to say thank you. Okay. All right. Let's let's just get started before I make this worse. So we're talking about Reverend Robert Kirk. He was a 17th century Episcopalian minister, folklorist, and Gaelic scholar. He was married to his wife Isabel, and they had a son by the name of Colin. Now, he would lose Isabel too soon and remarried a woman by the name of Margaret, who gave him a daughter by the name of Campbell. Kirk grew up in great poverty as one of seven children, but managed through hard work not only to attend college and become a priest, but also earn his master's degree. He's a little bit famous in religious circles. He's the first person to translate the book of Psalms into Gaelic. He's also credited with being part of the team of scholars that helped publish the first version of the complete Bible in Gaelic. During this time, and arguably still today, the people of Scotland held strong beliefs in what we would call you know, otherworldly creatures like fairies and the like. And while, in general, the church sought to stamp out these paganist beliefs, Reverend Kirk spent his time learning more about the beliefs. He even collected these tales in various writings. And he defended his actions by saying, you know, look, what the folks believe in here is harmless. And it's an important part of their culture and really the history of folklore. So it benefits us to learn more about it so we can relate our spiritual teachings to what they're accustomed to hearing from having grown up in this area. Now, look, if he had been doing this sort of research in like any other part of Europe, he probably would have been killed in some brutal fashion for being in league with the devil or being a witch or some nonsense like that. But he just kind of was part of the local culture there and took it in and wrote it down. He also was of the belief that some people could be gifted with what he called the second sight, you know, psychic powers, and that through these these gifts, uh, they could communicate with non-human entities. Again, this would have been just more fuel for the Satan haters in Europe, but he was in the perfect spot to do this and get away with it. 
Now, Kirk was known to take walks every night and often visited a place known as Dune Hill, an area the locals considered to be fairy property. There are reports of people seeing Kirk talking to himself and sometimes would even be laying on this hill with his ear on the ground, claiming that he was listening for voices coming from the earth or trying to, depending on the report you read. Kurt did honestly believe that there was some sort of invisible race of nature beings, as he described them, that he considered to be kind of a step between humankind and the angelic realm. On May 14th, 1692, Kurt was found dead laying on Dune Hill. Or apparently dead, if you read some reports. Now, when he passed, obviously the church had to get another priest up in the area. And so they cleaned out his house and his family had to move along. And they discovered this very unusual manuscript he had been working on in secret. It was entitled The Secret Commonwealth. And it basically was kind of a compilation of all he had learned about these non-human spirits which inhabited the area. It obviously was not published during Kirk's life because, you know, he did when they find it. But in 1815, somehow this manuscript survived until then and it managed to get published. And it's interesting because folklore scholars consider this book to be one of the most important and authoritative works on the legends of fairies and local Scottish beliefs. It discusses the world and activities of fairies and elves and fawn and what those with, you know, the second sight, as he called it, had disclosed to Kurt in addition to information he had gathered on his own. Kurt is buried at the Aberfoyle Churchyard in Scotland under a heavy tombstone, as was allegedly the custom at the time to discourage grave robbers. So that's our story, right? Just a nice dry little biography of this man. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you, you think daddy would do that to his babies? No. There's lots of rumors and creepy bits surrounding Kurt's death. Or to be more specific, what happened following Kurt's death. So, so we got to get into that. I mean... I think I'm just going to do a biography on a random academic from the 16th century. No, no, come on. All right. So first of all, there's lots and lots and lots of rumors that Kirk is not actually buried in the churchyard. And people say that's because he was never dead. They claim that he was kidnapped by the fairies for learning too much about their world. And that heavy tombstone and when I say a heavy tombstone, he's got like the regular tombstone and then this giant, you know, granite looking slab laying across where his casket would be. The purpose of that, they say, is to keep people from digging around and finding out that there ain't no body in that casket. And if you look at photos online, 
you, you can kind of see some support for this argument because Kirk's little plot is the only one that has this giant slab of rock on top of it. Everybody else just has a tombstone. So it stands out in that way. Now, of course, this wasn't some sort of comprehensive, you know, 360-degree panoramic view of the graveyard that I've seen. It's just pictures of his grave. But, of course, you can see other graves in the background. And from that, his does stand out. Now, maybe off-frame, there's 50 more graves done just like his. But since I don't live in Scotland, and since I've never been to Scotland, I can't really speak to how they buried people back in the 1600s. That's not my area of expertise, shockingly enough. Many folks seem to believe that Kirk's body isn't actually entombed. What really happened, if you believe the local legends, is that while Kirk was on his nightly visits to Doon Hill, he was, and I, I don't really know the best way to describe this, but I guess kind of forcibly astrally projected into the fairy world. Um, this caused his physical body to go into a coma-like state, which easily could have been confused for death at this time. The good people, as the fairy kind were known locally, were tired of Kurt attempting to learn their secrets and took his attempted eavesdropping as very impolite behavior. So to pay for his sins, Kurt was pressed into service as an advisor to the fairy queen, specifically on human re matters and human religious studies. And because he was pressed into the service, this would prevent him from sharing all the secret information he had gathered. Now, apparently the fairy people are not completely unfair, and he was given a chance to earn his freedom back. Allegedly, legends say that he was allowed to appear as an apparition or a ghost to a relative. And when he did this, he passed on that if this relative would attend his child's baptism, Camp Campbell's baptism, which hadn't occurred when he died, Kurt would appear there. And the fairy queen would allow him to return to the world of humans if, and only if, this relative would throw a dagger made of iron at Kurt's spectral head when he appeared at the event. So pretty simple here, right? You know, a ghost appears in your room, tells you, look, I'm trapped. I'm kidnapped by fairies. The only way they're going to let me go, and I don't know why these are the terms, are is if, you know, next time you see me, you throw an iron knife at my head. All right. So... The baptism occurs, and sure enough, all in attendance see Kurt floating kind of above his wife and child. And he's he can't make any noise, but he's obviously screaming and, you know, pantomiming towards his relative that, you know, now, do it now, throw the knife now. 
Well, his relation was a little too stunned to move. And after a few seconds, Kirk just faded away, being denied his chance at freedom. Some claim that the relative did throw his knife, but it was after Kirk had faded away. Today, folks tell tales that if you leave a coin on Kirk's grave, you'll be given good luck. Also, on Dune Hill, it's still around, and on it grows a single tree. And folks say, well, that tree represents Kurt's spirit or his soul. And if you write a wish on a piece of white fabric and tie it to the tree, which is known locally as Reverend's tree, your wish will come true. So, oh, our old buddy Robert's down there with the fairy queen, you know, serving as some sort of advisor trapped forever, I guess. I don't really know. But anyway, we've got this manuscript, right? And it was published. So don't don't we want to know what he learned about the Fae? Well, I'll have you know, your intrepid host searched high and low, far and wide, and stumbled into possession of a copy of this tome of forbidden knowledge. It was like five bucks on Amazon. And I'll share some of the more interesting bits with you. But if I suddenly disappear, guys, I'm going to need someone show up at whatever next big event is going on in my family and bring some iron daggers, okay? Because I ain't, I ain't going to live as a servant to, to some queen, okay? I mean, I've got standards. They're few and far between, but that's one of them. So anyway, here's what we learned about these otherworldly spirits. Physically, their bodies are extremely delicate and made largely of air. They live underground in these cavities that no man can reach. And they have many of the same rituals we do. You know, marriages, burials, baptisms, and the like. These spirit creatures love food and drink. And they've been known to steal it from humans. In fact, if they see some meat that they particularly want, they've been known to poison it in such a way that the humans who eat it get sick, don't want it, throw it out, and they can take it. Now, if you make offerings of food to them, they apparently become very appreciative and will sort of become your friends. They don't want to interact with the human world. They don't, you know, they're not going to come watch a ball game with you. But, you know, if you leave some meat out or some beer or some milk, you'll get little gifts in return, according to these legends. Like, they'll come through and clean your house one day when you're out or asleep at night. Which is actually kind of a kick-butt gift to get back just for leaving, you know, a piece of meat outside. Kirk claimed they do kidnap humans from time to time when they need help particularly when it comes to taking care of children, because apparently fairy children are just as bad as human children. Kurt argued that woman, women who died in childbirth actually weren't dead. They were taken to the fairy realm to kind of serve as nannies and um, caretakers for the fairy babies. 
And during their time there, these women are taught various kind of fairy tricks or fairy magic or whatever you want to call it. So they, uh, particularly healing arts, they learn a lot about healing arts. Now, these women, after they finish their time of service and the fairies don't need them anymore, they're offered an opportunity to come back to the human world. But part of the deal is they're strictly forbidden from disclosing any knowledge they gained while they were living among the good people. And they certainly can't rely on any of these new healing skills they've learned. Now, Kurt claimed that if a woman's going into labor, the best thing you can do to prevent her from being kidnapped by the Fae is to uh, throw a big old bar of iron in the bed as she's given birth. You can also put the Bible under the sheets Either one will keep the fairies away. And he also learned that there's times, for reasons he doesn't understand, where the fairies will actually gift humans with this second sight, these, these supernatural abilities we would call psychic powers. However, in his research, Kurt claimed that most people couldn't really handle this gift very well because they couldn't process and accept all the crazy things that they see. I guess it becomes like a Lovecraftian nightmare for them, and they become just totally enfeebled. Some can handle it, most can't. Going back to what I said a little while ago, um, you know, the fairies have a lot of rituals and whatnot that mirror our own. They also have a very organized government. Uh, it is, It is not a democracy or a republic, but it is a monarchy. But they do not have religion. And Kurt made a big deal over the fact that they do not recognize God as their creator. And that's part of the reason why I put in the Bible under the sheets when you're given birth will protect you from the fairies. If you're ever harassed by them, he says that using the name of God, Jehovah, or the name Jesus in front of them will cause them to disappear. Those who break their those fairies who break the laws of their society face punishment. So they have a form of a criminal justice system. And typically the punishment is to cause the offending fairy to become disfigured. Beauty is highly prized by these people according to Kirk. And so being punished in that way is really, you know, just, just sticking a shiv right between your, your ribs. So these unbeautified ones then are called into service to like haunt problematic humans because they apparently don't just become like not pretty. They become horrific to look at. Otherwise, that's about the only time you're going to see a fairy, according to Kirk. The other times, you know, you may see kind of a glimmer in the corner of your eye. That's as most as you'll, that's as close as you'll get to seeing them, unless you're a child. They say children allegedly have the ability to see these creatures because their eyes haven't been corrupted by the world. Again, according to Kirk, all of this is according to Kirk, and I, but I'm still going to say that a thousand times. Uh, the good people are known to hunt because they like meat, and they rely on earthen weapons 
and large numbers to bring down the beasts of our world. Kurt claimed, too, that they also had some sort of magical talents as he saw them use a thunderbolt to strike at a beast's heart, which killed it without leaving evidence of the wound, of any sort of wound. And thus, you know, the, the hide could be used uh, in their artistries. Like I mentioned earlier, they're weak to iron. And while they're typically invulnerable to mortal weapons, they can be sliced in half with a well-made iron blade. They are also unusually strong, considering they're these delicate little balloons of air. And Kurt claims they can hurl large boulders at a great distance. Kurt also claimed to have found and possessed several miniature flint arrowheads with serrated edges that he was certain were fairy-made. Now, like I said, you don't see fairies unless they want you to. And that's almost always going to be in a bad context. But rarely they will intentionally appear in their beautiful form with offer with with requests to purchase food they in addition to being lovers of beauty and lovers of food and all that stuff they also like money but they don't really have a use for it it, it i guess they're kind of like raccoons they like the shininess of it and so a typical transaction when they're bargaining for food is if you give them say a basket full of of rolls or they will give you an equal size bowl full of gold coins. When they're desperate for food, Kurt says they will sneak into human houses at night and suck blood. So they're also kind of vampiric. Really cool. Um, allegedly, the beings he witnessed were not just fairies. He said fairies is kind of like a species. And so within the species, you've got a list of things. Uh, brownies, elves, dwarves, doppelgangers, elementals, changelings, rites, succubi, nymphs, and sirens. He all specifically mentioned. And Kurt was of the strong opinion, very strong opinion, that these were not demonic entities in any way. They were not in league with evil forces. He argued they're not bad creatures. They're just extremely private ones who don't really want to mess around with the human world and only do so when it benefits them. He even went through the scriptures and pointed out certain stories that could be explained by saying, you know, really these were fairies and not angels or demons causing this to happen. So that's our brief story this week. This, this Robert Kirk is kind of famous, I guess in, in folklore circles because of this book that he, he wrote, but also because according to legend, he essentially almost willingly traded his life in order to be able to gather this information, to learn about the world of fairies. Allegedly, you know, I mean, it makes for an entertaining story, at least. 
if we want to accept all this is true, then Kirk had to know he was playing with fire by doing this level of research. And he had to know that ultimately it was going to cost him something big, probably his life, or at least his freedom. And I like this story, too, because everything just fits together so nicely, you know? You have a priest investigating something that would have subjected him to some very pointed questioning in most parts of the world. But he's doing it in the right area, and he's doing it in a rather academic way. He dies in, you know, an unusual place, a, a, a piece of fairy property, according to the locals. And he dies in a seemingly unusual way. When his replacement arrives, he said he's one of the ones that says, Kurt is not buried there. There was no body in that casket when we buried it. Um, then, you know, to ensure that his resting place isn't desert, disturbed, it seems to be the only one in this graveyard that has this giant slab on top of it. Then a relative sees the what I'd call the ghost of Kurt a few days later, giving him instructions on how he can be saved, all of which comes to pass as true and is witnessed by all in attendance at his daughter's baptism. And the mysteries are consistent with the book he was writing in secret. And again, this book is considered just one of the top books by folklorists when it comes to this stuff. Even though I'm a, 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 a county-renowned criminal defense attorney and am even a certified cryptozoologist, fairy stuff ain't my wheelhouse. And so I kind of find it interesting, you know, we, I, I guess at least in America, you know, we generally think, you know, there's fairies and then there's like elves and stories and then there's dwarves and stories and then there's uh sirens out at sea and all and he lumps them all together as as if they're all of one relation so um you know i can kind of see the more nature-based ones but like doppelgangers that was a surprise to me because they're supposed to be kind of evil creatures that are you know foreshadow your death and take over your life and, and when I was reading about um, fairies hunting, I just couldn't help but imagine like fairies at war. These little tiny, delicate glass balloons carrying around little itty bitty uh, spears made of rock and fighting each other with it. Just it just sounds more adorable than threatening until I guess the, you know, giant boulders start raining down on the sky from you. It would be like facing that vicious guardian in the legend of the cave of Carabinog. Um, if that doesn't ring a bell, that's that's the killer rabbit from Monty Python on the Holy Grail. So that, that's really all I got. Um, I hope you enjoyed this little tale. As always, thank you for supporting the podcast the way you do, particularly when I disappear for weeks at a time due to plagues such as COVID. Um, I am still going to try to get one more premium episode out this month, but I can't promise that because, you know, my available time was cut in half this month and, you know, things happen. But I appreciate y'all sticking with me. And with that, 
I guess all I really have left to say is Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.